Hey, Ashley. Hey, Meg. I miss being with you, actually. I miss being with you, too. This is, is, this is not the same. It's not quite the same, is it? It's not, not the same. We just got back from vacation. We had a pretty wonderful vacation. It was pretty sick. At least I, I love the shit out of it. But. Ashley turned 30, so happy birthday. Woo! 30. Big three zero. Yeah, thank you. I never asked you if you had any plans this year for your 30. Um, I think I'm just going to, like, focus on doing more things that I like and, like, and trying more things, you know? You've already been digging the clam digging a lot, so that's one thing. Exactly. Like, I think I'm just going to, um, I don't want to say be more selfish because that's not really what I think that I'm going to be doing, but be more like... Just spend your time doing things just, you want to do. Just spend my time doing things I want to do in no particular order. You know. Chasing the happiness train. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good goal for the year, yeah. you know, just trying to be happy. Just trying to be me, just trying to be happy, just doing the, doing the thing. Yeah. Anyway, it was yeah. a great birthday. We went on a, well, we traveled to Florida. Well, first I went to Nashville with Bo Bandy. <laughs> yeah. And then I was supposed to go to Orlando to meet old <laughs> Ashley yeah. when, you know, in the middle of the week. And then I ended up not being able to do that. So I had to come back home to Seattle and then fly out the next morning to Orlando. It was a lot of a lot of hours. It was a lot of travel time in yes. the air. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we had a great time. We went on a swamp boat tour. So fun, and we had uh, the craziest house. It was it was insane. So good. It was a good house. It was a nice. It was in like a retirement area and nowhere. Coast Just Florida, Palm Beach, Florida. So, so calm. It was just wonderful. We saw, oh my gosh, that dinosaur bird. We, we went for walks every morning and yeah, we and saw so many evening, different birds. We saw birds. We saw deer. We saw we an saw armadillo, dude. An armadillo. We saw crocodiles. We just saw all the things. So it was... It was really fun, and I think that we'll probably elaborate more on this uh, vacation when we actually go into our Florida episodes, especially when we talk about St. Augustine. Um, just, it was so fun. We had just the best time. We it's, did go to St. Augustine, and it was yes. just mellow. Really nice. I felt the vibes there, you know? I felt I felt the old... There was a random, Electricity. Like, medieval torture tour that we didn't have time to take, but that looked really fun. I have a feeling that I'm just going to kind of take some random trips to Florida now. I also feel um, that way because I had a great time and I loved the weather. It was good. What we enjoy, we had perfect weather. It was not too hot, and it wasn't really even that. It wasn't even too sunny. Like this is. A good thing because I am see-through, 
in mm-hmm. color. Yeah, just so pale. Oh yeah. my gosh, so pale. So, and I also just had um, uh, some color added to uh, my full back tattoo. Yeah, it looks so beautiful. I couldn't really do a lot. Um, as far as being in the sunshine She sat and, like, in the pool yeah. with, like, a full shirt on. It's a rash guard. It's made for that, I so. Know. It was uh, just the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it looked so stupid. <laughs> but that's just me. Yeah. I pretty much always look very stupid. <laughs> yeah, but adorable. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we just got back from vacation. We took a little break. And, uh... Ashley turned 30. We intended to do so much work, though. We really did. So, if you could see our calendar of, you know, the one that we made when we um, started our new season. And it was just, like, really in order. And I think about every time I come over and we're like, yeah, we need to redo this. And we're like, you know, we just start over again. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I had some thoughts about how we should be doing this, and I thought it would be kind of fun to just pop around. But then, you know, I'm going to be honest. I feel like you and I actually need a structure as much as we have not been following it because we have been enjoying the shit out of our lives. Oh, yes. And, Absolutely, um, you have. And it's not like we don't enjoy this. It's just that it's sometimes... It's a hobby, you know? Yeah, it's a hobby. And... It's not exactly higher on my list than sitting in the sunshine in a patio. (laughs) On a sunny day, I would way rather sit outside with you by a pool than, like, come in the dark room and record a terrible story, but... I know, and I've been trying to get my yard in order, so that's been a big thing, too. Yep. I've been working outside a lot. It's coming. It is, and you gotta get them flower seeds in the ground, or else you're just not gonna have flowers, and that's not fun, so. Not fun. I still have a lot to go. My yard is a hot mess, and I have a lot to go, but you know what? It's getting there. You have time, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Anyway. Tell me back. a story. We're, we're, I have a story for Ashley today, and it's over a place that we already visited, I honestly can't remember if we recorded that episode already or not, but I guess I'll find out when I look back and I'm editing episodes. What episode? Um, our our field trip episode. Oh yeah, we did. We We did record it. it. Mm Mhm. All right, so we already recorded that, but we. Went down to um, Cannon Beach by surprise. Ashley surprised me. And so, it was so I wanted cute. to tell her a story about Cannon Beach. I'm really excited. And I love even more that you were not even like, you were so like, this is not even close to the area, but thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did say that when we got there. Because she was like, I'm not going to tell you where we're going, but you can guess. And then I just. I don't know, eventually gasped. <coughs> and she was like, yeah, we're going there. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that sounds fun. And then we got there, and we couldn't find any parking. And the oh, weather was atrocious. It was so bad. I don't think we've posted pictures from that trip yet, but we probably will when we release the episode. Oh, my God. 
but it was just oh that was we were that was so bad straight and then we got back in the car and i was like well that was fun this and i want anywhere say, where we need to be i and i also spend a lot of time on windy beaches in the water um, I just want to like point that out, and you I do. hated and that. It was an extra windy day. <laughs> I it wasn't that. raining though. Oh God, yes. <laughs> I don't know that. I it was starting to, mm-hmm. and it definitely rained like our entire way home, our entire trip. Yeah. Oh my God, that was so much. And so I'm gonna give you a um, a little <laughs> what's it called? Like a little folklore about the Ooh. bandage man. Okay, let's do this. Okay. And then I have a second story for you today, if we have time. Okay. And it's a, I have a little bit of a paranormal slash true crime of an episode. I have a little bit of both. And it is a crazy story. And the other one takes place in a Cola State Park, which we passed, but we didn't stop there. Okay. So this is the story of the bandage man. Let me pull up my notes. There it is. Here it is. Oh no. I don't need to oh open no. Word. I'm sorry. That's okay. We can just edit this out. We can just edit this out. Because I can't get the file that I want. There it is. Found it. Okay. So the story of the bandage man. As uh, reflected by legends, all begins with a secluded stretch of the U.S. Highway 101 and Cannon Beach. And we took that way down, on the way down for our day trip, and we took it back because it's just gorgeous. And the stretch of highway, is he is said to haunt the stretch of highway, uh, specifically the Route 26 overpass. Hmm. And this legend dates back to the 1950s. And it's, like, similar to, you know, like, uh, what's that other urban legend that's, like, the guy with the hook for a hand that, like, knocks on couples' windows in, like, a dark, secluded area, you know? Have you ever heard of that kind of urban legend? I mean, like, I've heard of that, but only in movies. Pretty much, yeah. So this is kind of like that. (laughs) Okay. So the story goes, is a young couple who sat parked in their pickup truck near the beach, and suddenly their truck moved as if somebody had climbed into the truck bed behind them. And they looked through the back window. (laughs) I just started. No, I don't want to. (laughs) So they turned and looked through the back window, and they saw a disfigured man that looked to be covered in bloody bandages, and he was rocking back and forth in their truck bed. Okay, I hate this already because I go by myself and I'm always in the dark and it's always like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I'm always so scared. When the fog is rolling in too. No! It's so foggy down there. Oh, I'm dead. Okay. Alright. Alright, I'm ready. I'm ready. You're just terrifying the shit out of me and next time I'm going to the beach by myself, I'm going to call (laughs) you in the morning and make you stay on the phone with me even though you're going to be dead tired. You know what? You can always come pick me up, but if I'm going to go, you have to pick me up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Driving to you is so long when we have to leave so early. Done deal. (laughs) Done deal. Okay. Anyway, so they reported that he started beating on the back of their window. 
So they raced away down the highway, and others have since reported seeing the bandage man jump into open bed, truck beds and convertible cars back seats. So anything with an open And a space. convertible? No, that would be Can so... Can you imagine a I mummy would cry. in the back seat? I would absolutely cry. I oh my god. I think maybe I want to be a mummy for Halloween this next year. I've never been a mummy before. Is he, like, a mummy, or is he, like, just a guy with, like, bandages that are bloody all over him? Are um, they, what kind of bandages are they, I guess? We will get into that. Okay, all right, I'm ready. So, people report that he jumps into their back seats, or, like, their truck beds. Others say that they've seen him walking along the beach, down the Highway 101, and on a short road called Bandage Man Road. Although, I think I tried to Google this road, and I couldn't find it anywhere, so I don't know if it's, like, a local road that only, like, locals know, mm. and they named it that, or if it, like, existed at some point. I can't find it. I don't know. Or if it's one of those, like, rural roads that they have a sign for that, like... You can't read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, some people believe that he is the tormented ghost of a logger who died in a horrific accident while working in the area. And then it's reported that he was a logger in the 1930s and he was badly injured on the job, which, like, I could totally understand for sure. Because, you know, the time frame and, like, the logging area and, you know, that. Oh, and OSHA was just not a thing. It was just not a thing. And people died all the time, as we know, so. On the job. <laughs> he was I mean, on the job. Yeah, so <laughs> he was wrapped in bandages and sent away in an ambulance. However, that ambulance fell victim to a landslide while they were transporting him to the hospital. The luck. Oh, my God. Right. Just rotten, rotten luck. When the rescue crew arrived at the landslide location, he was just gone. He was... He'd vanished out of the ambulance. How, how? How? What? Yeah. I don't... I don't like that. It's mm. not great luck for this poor bandaged man. <laughs> bandaged man. Yeah. So the bandaged man was subjected to a 1974 University of Oregon Northwest Folklore Research Study titled The Bandage Man Legend, a Cannon Beach legend. I'm really sorry that you can hear that. Homer is really getting into his ear right now. Oh, okay. I can't hear he's, it at he's all. He's done. Oh, okay. It's like he was heavy breathing. <laughs> so. <laughs> Maybe I'm just so used to it, having Kevin around. He woke me up at 2 a.m. this morning just breathing so heavy in my face. <laughs> We were at the legend. The study explores the haunted tales and legends passed down since the 1950s. And he was the focus of a 2003 horror comedy film entitled Bandage Man that was directed by an Irish filmmaker named Ivan Kavanaugh. Sorry, I am getting over a chest cold. That was pretty awful, so. 
I feel so much sympathy for you because that sounds terrible. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't give it to me. Yes, we were me in too. such like close proximity on the airplane. I know, it was so nice. And we shared a shawl, which we found out was a double blanket, and it's just the greatest thing ever. It is so nice. Yeah, he has a movie made about him. Oh. And the last part of detail that people report about this folklore figure is that he smells of foul, rotting flesh. Ew. And most people don't notice his presence until they smell him. That's even worse. To just, like, think somebody farted around you and they're in your car and you're going to get murdered by some stank-ass murderer. I always look like, in my backseat before so... I get in my car, dude. Oh, yeah, me too. Like, I, I am very terrified of that but how shitty would that be just like oh my god did somebody shit their pants and then he's like yeah um, stop stop um, I'm real sorry about that now I, I have uh... to tell you that was too embarrassing right. uh, so I was just gonna haunt you but now I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, God, that would be terrible. <laughs> that would be a bad way to die. Yeah, for sure. I'd be upset mm. about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's also said that Vantage Man survives by eating stray animals and small game and, of Aww. course, people. And, of course, people. And of course, the people. Well, that's really sad. Yeah. So that is the folklore <coughs> legend of the Bandage Man of Cannon Beach. Wow. I'm glad I heard that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. The more you know. <laughs> the more you know. The more you now know. Now I am terrified to go to the beach by myself. Not that I go to Cannon Beach. I go to a different beach. But still, now I'm just going to be sitting in the dark by myself. Uh, try not to cry a little bit as I'm putting all of the, uh, lights in the world on my body. Hmm. Hmm. Be safe out there, you know? Yeah, the you gotta be, on the you gotta be the safe out there. You know, just be safe and look inside the backs of your cars and stuff. Always, always, always. Solid life advice from us. <laughs> If you didn't already know. <laughs> if you didn't already think that maybe you should start doing that, you should definitely do that, you know? You just never know who's in your backseat. Never. Alright, so yeah. since I think we do have time for me to go into this true crime a bit. Okay. Um, so I'm going to be telling you today about the case of Linda. We got another Linda. Linda! Uh, her name is Linda Sp Spangle or Spangle? I think I've heard it pronounced Spangle, so I'm going to call it that. Okay. But it's spelled like Spangle. I, um, I would support either way. That sounds reasonable. Okay. <laughs> so this case is a little bit crazy. I and love it. And it takes place, it begins at the Ecola State Park, located oh. near Cannon Beach, Oregon. Okay. So it's not part of it, but it's right by it. And I just lump them in together because they're like, you know, neighbors. Neighbors. Ecola State Park is a state park in Oregon. 
and it is nestled on some high cliffs overlooking the ocean below, which is like gorgeous, you know. Oh yeah, it's Just a, be- a nice it's beautiful ocean view. Really nice. This area has had a lot of history <coughs> of mudslides and an ever-changing landscape due to the nature of the cliffs and all the trees and then all that good stuff. I'm sure the wind is pretty, like, insane there, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you feel it on the beach, for sure. It's just, like, higher and through the trees and stuff. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So the land, was for, the land for Ecole Estate Park was acquired between 1932 and 1978, and it was by gift and purchase. By gift and purchase is what you just said? Sorry mm-hmm. about that. By gift and purchase. So they purchased some of it and then it was donated from yeah, some other parts of it okay and it was from private owners and the federal government here in 1806 captain william clark of the lewis and clark expedition i was gonna ask if it was the same but like yep. i didn't want to seem real dumb yep it's the same <laughs> it's that guy it's the guy i actually never thought of his first name as william i always just thought of him as clark i know <laughs> and lewis you know and well and lewis you yeah know. first name basis around there and uh they also don't really um usually go separate so no they don't so yeah he uh <laughs> viewed some burial canoes of the Tillamooks or the Tillamook tribe and looking south from the Tillamook head he described as one of the grandest and most pleasant prospects he had ever surveyed so that view from the Tillamook head is just like he was all about it oh that's nice and Tillamook head is the high point on the trail between seaside and indian beach and it's named for the Tillamook tribes in the in the area whose ancestry had headland is associated with the, tor- the territory there. This park sits on 1,023 acres. And again, it has a history of landslides that have shut the park down like multiple times for like long periods of time. Like <laughs> 10 months, 4 months. Oh, jeez. It's happened a few times. Yeah, A few times. So since there's landslides all the time, they don't put up any safety rails or guardrails or anything like that because it's just going to be fucked up eventually, they figure. Oh, of course. That's just what I assume is why they don't have those. Either that or it's like more like a lottery system now. I don't know. Like, I think it's just a state park. So I think you could just visit and like pay an annual pass, I'm sure. Well, I mean, like, uh, if you are one that falls off, you're just, like, a lucky, lucky winner, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a lucky winner that falls off a cliff. <laughs> right. I've often, you know, I often dream about falling off a cliff, and it's just the worst. <laughs> I am not about it. It sounds so terrible. <laughs> I would not want to fall off a cliff. No, that'd be... I mean, it'd be better than, like getting murdered by a farting ghost but i mean that's a tough call is it it is i feel like i would black (laughs) out probably instantly from fear so i think it would be the other one i'd have to to smell you know (laughs) and then what if that got in your mouth like 
Ashley, you're just going down such a dark road here. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm I'm feeling a little um a little morbid today, I guess. You yeah. know, there's anyway, one sorry. person that we can't ask about what it's like to fall off a cliff. And I'm gonna tell you about his death today. Oh no. Of course we're going there. Let me set Let's the scene do it. for you. Okay, set it. On November 12th, 1996, 27-year-old David Wall and 23-year-old Linda Spangle embarked on a road trip together in David's van towards Seaside, Oregon, and then they drove up to Ecola State Park, getting there around 3 in the morning. (sighs) (laughs) It's just beginning to be It was stated by Linda during some sometime during the trip that after they parked, David, you know, they had been sitting a while, and then David grabbed a beer, and he said that he was going to go for a walk, and that would he would be back in ten minutes. Okay. So, with that picture in your mind, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background on these two people. Linda met David while they were working together at a Red Lobster, and they hit it off like. They liked each other, no problems. They they were really into like into each other. Okay. And uh, David was twenty seven. He was a native to the Oregon area, and Linda was twenty three. And she was native to Minnesota, but at some point in her life, she had migrated over towards Oregon. So they had been dating for a little over a year, and they were living together with David's parents at the time of this event. Romantic. Super romantic, yes. 27 years old. 27, living with your parents. With your girlfriend. And your girlfriend. That sounds like a tough situation. It sounds like my dream. (laughs) (laughs) So, it was stated after, you know, this event by Linda herself that their relationship was pretty unstable and it really just revolved around drinking together and David was known to, like, love to drink beers he was all about it are you telling me that a red lobster server at 27 years old likes to get drunk because i just don't buy it i can i can i understand yeah i get it (laughs) (laughs) i'm being pretty sarcastic yeah as a former server i totally understand drowning yourself in alcohol me too (laughs) any service worker really any service worker yeah anyway so she stated that They both knew that the relationship was not going to last and that they were kind of in the process of, like, navigating how to, you know, dissolve this relationship and kind of re-get together, like, get their own lives together and kind of, they're just kind of sorting stuff out. Okay. So they're, like, together, but they're also kind of, like, breaking up or, like, they're in the process of it. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. their relationship revolved around drinking and it it sounded like it wasn't yeah, they were both just in agreement that it wasn't going to go anywhere. She stated that she stayed in the car going back to November 12th, or I don't know if it was the 13th at this point or if it was still, you know, like, you know, that morning the, time crossover. The wee hours. Yeah, so I'm not sure if it was the 12th or the 13th, but she stated that she stayed in the car and she was waiting and waiting for David to return and she eventually fell asleep and she woke up like later in the morning in the day. And David still had not returned to the car. Okay, so she, he said he was going to be 10 minutes, and she... 10 minutes, and okay. then 
and that was around sometime around 3 a.m. And then I think at this point it was like 11 or something. Mm. And she's just like, okay, this is not. She thought, she stated that she thought maybe he had just kind of walked off and like he'd be back in a couple of days or something. Because she had a pest, like a history of her father doing that. Okay. You know, her dad supposedly would like get drunk when she was younger and then like disappear for a few days or like that's what her mom told her when she told her her mother about this. But like, they're in the... They're in the woods. And she has his car. Okay, so he's just going to be like, you know what, um, I'm just going to go. You know, we're going to get into that. Okay, alright, I'm, I'm here for the ride. I don't, I don't trust her. I'll say it. <laughs> okay, that's where you're at. So, she took his car and she drove herself home. And after she had gone and reported him missing to the ranger station. And then she called David's mother. Uh, Her name was Bev Jones. And she called to let her know that David had not, like, returned from his walk that he had taken last night. And it's also noted that after she drove herself home after reporting him missing, she did not, like, stick around to help search for David during this time. Oh. This, all of this is just coming together so... Um, logically. Right. So it was noted by, um, or mentioned by David's mother, Bev, that she thought it was weird that Linda did not stay to help out after she reported David missing. And the search was called off after only four days. Did she give, like, a reason why she didn't? Did she, like, have to get back to work, or was it... So it was, I think it was, um, explained from her point of view that they had kind of you know they, they were talking about breaking up so I excuse me for that verb in her mind she said okay you know they had broken up like he disappeared she thought maybe he had walked off and she said um, that was kind of why she didn't stay because they you know they had already kind of broken up and they were just kind of sorting themselves out so she thought he disappeared after they had broken up, pretty much. It, and that's why she didn't stick around. I still don't, like, that doesn't, I, I guess it still doesn't make sense to yeah, me. Like, if I, make, I... I guess if it, yeah, if it were me, and my, yeah. even if it was my ex that had disappeared, I would still be like, okay, but, like, what the heck happened? <laughs> we were right? in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> and she's disappearing with his car, I'm assuming? And then she took his car, like... Yeah. So, (laughs) he would want me to have this. Anyway, after (laughs) four days, the search was called off, and they had not found a single trace of David, except for a single beer can. And after the search was called off, Linda packed her things and a few of David's old t-shirts and stuff, and she moved back to Minnesota to be with her family. So, she just wants to, like, appear as sketchy as possible it sounds like here's the thing i'm gonna keep going <laughs> but you're, you're you're on a good track okay, okay. this is what, this story is crazy um so 
like I said, from Linda's perspective, she knew that David was drunk. She thought he disappeared. He had just gone off and, like, started a, a new life, perhaps, and that he would be back in a few days after cooling off. And as, they were pretty much broken, broken up. And she had been cleared by the police, and they didn't believe that she had been involved in his disappearance. And they had even asked her to take, like, a polygraph test once she got to Minnesota. And she agreed to do it, and she passed her polygraph test. And they cleared her of, like, any wrongdoing in his disappearance, pretty much. Of course. So that happened. And they, yeah, they just, like, had no other reason. Like, especially because they didn't have a body. Like, there's no way of knowing, you know? Mm-hmm. You gotta rule out. You gotta rule people out. In December 1996, so just a few months later, a headless body washed oh, up on the shores of Washington of State. So it wasn't in Oregon anymore. It was okay. This body rolled up in Washington. Oregon's neighbor. Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the body was a Caucasian male, possibly between the ages of 20 and 30. And it took months and months for the body to be identified until a partial jawbone had been found. And the Washington coroner, that's when he started, like, looking outside the state and in the surrounding areas. Mm, okay. So, with that, they found the missing persons report of David in Oregon and concluded that this was indeed the body of David Wall. Headless. Headless, except for a jawbone that they found nearby. And um, the headless body was really difficult for the coroner, and he kind of assumed it was due to marine life that the head had been detached from the body. That was his assumption based on what he had. Mm -hmm. And this death was closed as a possible suicide or an accidental death. Based on what they knew about the location, his state of mind or, you know, his state of being while he was drinking on the cliffs, mm-hmm. that, and with that, the case was closed. And they, so and they had closed Linda, Lisa, and she had moved away, she Linda. was just living her life <laughs> in Minnesota. Yeah. So, even though the case was closed, David's mother, Bev, she was not convinced that Linda didn't have anything to do with his disappearance. And she made it, like, her own personal goal to incriminate Linda by going, like, above and beyond what, you know, like a person would normally do when a case is closed. But it's also noted that uh, Bev did not like Linda, and she didn't think she was a good enough woman for her son David. Okay. But, like, they were also breaking up, so, you know, she had that, I guess. so although linda had already told her side of the story and she had already moved away she stuck to her story that uh david walked off and never came back and that was that but bev at this time she decided to go back to the state police and she had her own little plan and she was like excuse me i'm a detective now here's the plan (laughs) 
She's a lady that knows what she wants. Excuse me. Um, here I am. We're going to do this now. We're going to do this the right way, and I know how. So listen up. <laughs> of course. So now that they had David's body back, or at least most of it, because I don't know if they ever found the rest of the head, but they had most of his body. They were going to hold a service for him, and she wanted to invite Linda to the service so that the police could further question her or interrogate her as um, more of a suspect rather than a witness. She's setting a trap. She's setting a trap. And the police said, um, excuse me, Bev, listen, lady, this case is closed. And also she moved and she was ruled out. And she had already passed like a polygraph test, which, you know, is really, is very conflicting. Um, Bev? Gosh. Um, Bev, case closed. And... They also said, like, nah, lady, you can't just be a partner with us on this case that's already closed. Like, it's a huge conflict of interest. And, but they also said, like, but maybe this isn't a bad idea. (laughs) So they said, let us handle this, okay? And so the police bought um, plane tickets and a hotel after they, after, um, with the intention of getting Linda back to Washington for the service. But the okay. DA was reluctant to reopen the case. But it was open to the idea of reopening the case if they could get more incriminating like evidence against Linda. So they basically had to prove to the DA that this was worth reopening. So they were like, well, this is kind of fishy, but, like, not quite fishy enough. But, like... It's fishy, so... It's fishy, but it's also just like, I need a little bit of convincing. I need a little evidence. I mean, they can't just go on Bev's word. No, they cannot. That lady acts crazy. Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) the the police did end up uh, supporting the choice for Beverly to call Linda and invite her over to David's service. Mm -hmm. Under the false pretense of, like, really wanting her there and... Linda told her that she appreciated the offer, but she couldn't even afford to, like, get back there from Minnesota at the time. And she was going to be having to go to Portland. So Beverly told her, or Bev, she said, no problem. My family will pay for it because we would really appreciate and, like, want you to be here. And so Linda said, like, okay. And so she said my plane ticket and my hotel are bought. Like, fine, I'll go. Yeah, might as well. But the police were the ones to buy the tickets. Bum, bum, bum. Because Bev couldn't be a conflict of interest or whatever. So uh, this was about six months after his initial disappearance, by the way. So this was in May of 1997, so the next year. Now, the service was... uh, During the service, there was two casually dressed state police officers... And after the service, they approached Linda and asked if they could uh, ask her some final closing questions about the incident that happened and that they just needed a few, like, closing details for the family. They assured her that she wasn't in any trouble and they just wanted to see the full picture of, like, her side so the family could have some true closure. Okay. So being naive, because Linda was only 23 at this point, maybe she had turned 24, I don't, I didn't look up her birthday, 
but <laughs> she's pretty young, so she was pretty naive, and she agreed. And they escorted her to the car, where they took her up to the cliffs of Ecola State Park for a clear picture of her side of the story. And she didn't question them or, like, hesitate to go out and, like, help them at all. See, that's really weird because I feel like if my <clears throat> boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, like, killed themselves somewhere, I would at least have, like, some kind of feelings about going back to that spot, especially if I was the last, like, person to see him alive. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, like, it, it sounds like a trap, but if you really are innocent, like, I guess, and you're naive, you don't think you're going to go up there and, like, be interrogated if they just say that, like, I guess you're trusting, like, a police authority figure of their word. Okay. Okay, you know? I'll give them that, yeah. So now they had her isolated at this park and asked her over and over again about, like, the positioning about her story. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they're wanting physical positioning. So she showed them, like, where they had parked and then the direction that he had walked in and then they kept telling her that her story just, you know, your story just doesn't add up and that she must have been leaving something out. And they were, like, grilling her. And they had her up at the state park, and they had kept her up on the cliffs for hours. And they kept making all those classic statements, you know? Yeah. So they are just really interrogating her in, like, a secluded environment where she's by herself with these two detectives. And now she's starting to get, like, yeah, really uncomfortable at this point. Okay. So then, you know, they kept saying, like, if it was an accident, please tell us just it was an accident. It's very clear, they said. They said, you're not under a murder investigation if this was just an accident. So you can tell us. It's okay. So, like, why did you leave up and pack so quickly? Like, why did you take so many of David's clothes when you left? And she explained that her and David were already broken up. And that's why she left. She thought that David had just walked off somewhere because he had done that in the past. And David didn't even wear those clothes. And she was the one that had been wearing his things pretty much for a long time, which is why she took them with her. So, like, they weren't really his clothes. She wore them, with like, more than he did. Okay. So that's why she took them when she left. And, um... So they had her up on the cliffs, and they were forcing her to climb up all these steep trails alongside them during this questioning. And Alinda kept stating that she had an extreme fear of heights, and she kept telling the officers this while they were, like, making her climb up these steep trails on the cliffs. And at that point, she was, like, cracking under anxiety. And that's when she said, okay, yes, it was an accident. I mean... How does that even, how as cops does that even make sense to do? Because now you just open yourself up to so many, like, areas where this confession can be thrown out. Well, here we go. I want to take a pausing brief moment to tell you that this case is always an example of cases when teachings are done. Like, you know, when they're teaching about um, false confessions. I can see that. Yeah, so this is, like, a really notable case when it comes to, like, false confessions in the court or, like, in police custody that leads to, like, a court hearing. This is always a staple case. And it's because 
they had, um, so they were grilling her up on these cliffs, and she said, okay, yes, it was an accident. But they didn't, they hadn't, like, uh, read her any Miranda rights. Okay. And they also, like, hadn't recorded that conversation. Of course not. So, then, she told the officers that when uh, David had come back to the truck, they decided to go for a stroll together. And then he had made a move on her, pretending like he was going to push her off the cliffs. You know, like a fake-out move. You know, like you're, you're just joking around. Mm-hmm. And he knew that she was deathly afraid of heights, so she got pissed. And she pushed him back. But she did it, like, really hard, and she did it with anger. And he tripped, and he fell backwards off the cliff. So it was indeed an accident. But she said it, like... You know, she was just supposed to be, like, joking around. She didn't mean to push him that hard. Or, like, she didn't realize that he didn't have, like, the best balance where he was standing. She called him a fucker while she pushed him. And that's when his footing got lost and he fell over the cliff. See, and that, like, makes sense that that happened. But now, like... There's this whole thing about it, about, like, what is her... What is the real story now? Exactly. But they got it in such a way that it doesn't matter what it was because it's never going to be, like, counted, you know? Right. So there's that. So she said that he was standing, like, before her one second, and then he was just gone the next. Okay. So, again, like I said, this confession... So this confession was not recorded in any way, and it was only done essentially by, like, their memories. So it's their word against hers. I have so many issues with this! Again, they had never read her her rights. So they got back into the car after she admitted to this verbally and drove her back to the hotel, and while they were driving, they read her her Miranda rights, and they re-recorded her confession. In which she added a weird little detail, that when David fell, he made a loud, annoying scream as he fell 400 feet down to his death below on the jagged rocks on the beach. (laughs) Yeah, an annoying scream, which was a new detail that she hadn't admitted in her first confession. Okay. And as soon as they had finished this new confession, they arrested her. So at this time, she was confused. Because she was being arrested, and they had told her before that she wasn't in any trouble, and she wasn't going to be arrested for murder. Yeah, because it was all an accident. Because it was all an accident. And they said, oh, that's right, and you're not under arrest for murder, but you're going to be under arrest for manslaughter. (sighs) And the cops are sneaky that way, you know? So, that... That is so sneaky. And I mean, like, just fucking like dirty. it makes sense, though. I mean, I, I think that she's kind of the idiot in this situation because she believed it, and it sounds like she's pretty naive the whole time. But like, or she was just believing that she could get away with it. I guess I don't know, but she's going to because they obviously screwed it, screwed it all up. Yeah. So there's that. 
Now, she could not afford to make bail after they had arrested her, just like she couldn't afford to pay for her plane ticket or her hotel. And she was, um, it was also unlikely that she would be granted bail because she actually lived out of the state. Yeah. So they didn't want to give her any bail. Of course. But she also couldn't afford to wear, like, any proper court attire while the trial took place in the next year in January. And she was said to be dressed in her attorney's, like, suit jacket during the entire trial. She didn't have any clothing. That sucks. Now, during the trial, the prosecution's case against her revolved around these two confessions that she had made to the police. And uh, her previous polygraph test evidence, the one that she had passed when she was originally questioned, mm-hmm. that was never presented to the jury. I mean, I guess that I guess I kind of appreciate that though, because if it's like if they fail it, it also is an evidence that can usually be presented in court. So it's kind of nice that like it doesn't also exonerate her. You know, like it, it does go both goes both ways, I guess. Well, in the state of Oregon, it was not considered to be, like, scientific evidence polygraph test. Yeah. Yeah, so that makes sense. So she testified in her own defense, saying that detectives had uh, forced her into a confession up on the cliffs and used her intense fear of heights and her growing anxiety about the situation against her to, like, coerce a false confession. While she testified in her own defense, uh, Linda said, like, she went back to her original story. Okay. And then she backed up the claim that they had made her, you know, lured her into a false confession by uh, saying that she had even changed the story the second time, adding the annoying scream part. So she stood by her original story that when that David had, like, gone off on his own and he had never come back, and she had, like, never followed him. That's what she was going with in court. And she also stated on the stand about, like, the false confession, and, like, that was her whole argument, that she had been scared during that interview, and she was anxious enough to escape <coughs> because she knew that that was the only way that she was going to get off the cliffs. I mean... Yeah, which is where I have, like, where the whole issue lies, is it's, like, it's very reasonable to think that all of her behavior up until then was super shady, and so, yeah, it's super reasonable to think that she did something and was definitely involved. And also, because Linda, but, so, I mean, it's just reasonable to think it, but then they, like, made it come out in such a way where you can never believe it. Exactly, and I'm also just kind of really torn on this because, like, I think her story makes sense, like, her original story. I think it's kind of weird that she left so quickly, but, like, maybe that's just, you know, I'm a different person, I don't know. But I can also see, like, yeah, the way they got this confession just, like, makes it look really bad. Yeah, and also, if they were broken up before then, why were they going camping together? I don't know if they were going, like, camping. I think, you know, did you ever used to, like, go out on, like, long car rides with your partner and just, like, talk about things, even if you were breaking up? Like, especially yeah. when you were younger, like, as a teenager. Yeah, you know, we like, I did do that. The car was just kind of, like, a safe space to just, like, you know, there's something about a car that's just, yeah. like... You could talk there for a long time and, like, 
potentially break up on a long car ride. But it sounded yeah. like it was also kind of amicable the way they were breaking up. Like they both knew it wasn't going to go anywhere. It didn't sound like one way or another. That, that's true. See, that's the thing is like it both makes her look so guilty, but then you also have to like see her innocence too. Yeah. So this is this is a toughie, you know? It's a toughie. I know. False confessions, ma'am. It's tough. False confessions. So her defense. They had brought in an expert, and he gave testimony about the nature of coerced false confessions and, like, the science behind all that jazz. And he was, like, the best defense that they could really bring in for that. Yeah. But it was also, you know, um, observed that this expert had his validity questioned often. (laughs) And the cases that he brought in for example on his testimony of evidence of, like, science for false confessions was, like, torn apart by other experts. So, like, he wasn't a tip-top shape expert. (laughs) They didn't think he was super credible. So it was, like, both... It was, like, a double-edged sword. It both worked out, but it also hurt them, too. So with that, the defense was rested. And, you know... The prosecution had rested, and the case was in the hands of the jury. So on January 16th, 1997, so this was the following year, Linda Stengel was convicted of second-degree manslaughter. Wow. And she was sentenced to six years and three months in prison, with three years of parole after that. Okay. And her appeals were all denied, and she remained in prison until March of 2003. And the state of Oregon agreed to let her stay in Minnesota during her parole. Hmm. So she's been living a quiet life ever since she was released from prison. And when she got out of prison, she was 29 years old. I mean... And that is... uh, yeah, her side of the story and why this is like such a poster for false confessions. I don't I wanna say that she's innocent. Like that's but it also doesn't make sense. And maybe it's just because like I would make different choices, you know? Well And I feel like even if he was angry, if he didn't come back within a within an hour, I would have gone to look for him and then even like called somebody. If you know the area, like, I guess if you're Oregon natives, you probably know that area is, like, a little dangerous. And so, if you've, like, you broke up with your boyfriend and (laughs) he disappeared, he said that he was going to go around in this park for ten minutes and just didn't come back. Doesn't that kind of make you, like, sort of responsible? Because what if he could have, like, been rescued, you know? Well, like, again, like I, like I said, like, she didn't, she fell asleep, you know, waiting for him to come back. Yeah. I don't know, like, it didn't specify if she had initially gone to, like, look for him herself. Okay. Or if she had just, like, decided, like, oh, he's not coming back, and then she just never left the car, and she just took the car and, like, left. It never specified whether she actually got out of the car and, like, went to do her own investigation before leaving or not. I never read anything about that, but maybe that's 
And then taking his car. That's a big, also thing for me. It's like... (laughs) Well, so she did go inform, like, the rangers. Okay. And then I think she went home to, like, kind of tell his parents what was going on and kind of situate herself. But I also don't think that, like, the... You know, she was cleared from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think as, like, a 23-year-old and your older boyfriend who may have may have been intoxicated just, like, had left and he had done it before... You know, like, if he, especially if it's, like, something that he did, like, on the rig. Yeah. I can understand why, she, like, what her perspective of, like, where he, you know, like, he walked off. Like, I think, <coughs> I, I'm kind of on her side on this one. I mean. it. I just kind of lean towards her side. But, again, I also think I, I might have a terrible choice, like, I terrible lean judge towards of character. Her side. So. I, I lean towards her side, I'll say that. But I do think that, like, in where I don't think it was, I don't think it's likely that she, like, went and pushed him. I do think that, like, she does kind of, like, if she didn't go look for him, if she didn't, if she waited till, like, the morning to report it, and, like, all that stuff, just because, like, the tides and stuff come in, and, you know, there's... If it was, like, 400 feet then he fell, then he definitely couldn't have been saved. That's for sure. But, like... But then how does he end up headless? And I think if, like, they did a little bit more examination on, like, how was the head removed, then it would be more... But they didn't have that evidence. Yeah, exactly. So I guess it kind of, like, leaves it to the imagination. Well, and then maybe it kind of like just balances out to where it's a manslaughter charge and she only serves six years and three years of parole because like maybe it was an accident but then she didn't like go above and beyond on her own side to like you know prove that she think... that it really was an accident you know like she didn't stick around. I wouldn't even say above and beyond. I would say, like, she didn't... She barely did the bare minimum. She barely did the bare minimum. Like, yeah, you're right like, there. Like, there wasn't even an exceptional... An exceptional clay. She didn't even do, like, she an okay an job. Yeah. She was just like, hey, so... A couple hours ago... my business. I'm this, going. I, I'm taking his car, and that's what you're going to hear from me. I'm actually she uh, left the leaving car. the... State. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but I think she might have left the car behind. Like, she didn't take it with her when she moved back to Minnesota. She just, like, took herself and, like, his old t-shirts, I guess. Like, you know, so I, I, I kind of, I'm torn. I don't think, I don't think she, like, maliciously pushed him. That's not what I think happened. Like, and it, and I, it's just all speculation, too. That's the biggest thing. Like, it doesn't fucking matter what I think, because... Well, and it also goes to show you, like, you know, how isolated this park is. She was the only witness. Right. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I also think that it's, like, kind of interesting that, like, she came up with that story so naturally... And, like, it was such a, such a... That is interesting. Yeah, that is, like, yeah. That's just such a convenient alibi, like, of what could possibly happen in that situation. 
she could have said so many things like they got into a fight and he jumped and so that would have like but it's also put... just like such a simple explanation like yeah he was just fucking around with me he pretended like he was gonna push me and then I pushed him back like that's such yeah. a simple normal explanation in my eyes I and then yeah no like but that if that was the like explanation the that would make of an accident you know? that would make so much sense and also you know yeah no that would make perfect sense and I think that that would like track with what happened and I don't think anybody would really be too upset if that was what happened I well, mean and yeah I think that's it's possibly that... why that it just is such a fitting thing for like a manslaughter charge and not you know serving like for life in prison for the the body of this young man you know but then like but then also to think of like how little make how little it makes sense for her just to like not be there at all yeah I, i wasn't there at all i let him go he walked away that's the last I ever heard from him. Yeah, that and then I makes sense. Left immediately after I alerted somebody, and that was. And then I totally wanted to be completely out of the situation. Twenty three years old, dude. Remember your brain at twenty three years old, you old ancient lady. <laughs> Shut up! You're the same age as me. I am also an ancient lady. I'm pretty sure we're both eighty. No, I mean. I don't, I don't think that, like, I don't think that I would have, I don't know. It's so, it's so hard it's to a wild think case. of, like, I don't think that, like, I would have ever thought that it was a good idea to just up and leave the state until he was found. I like, also I'm don't pretty think sure I would have thought that was a good idea, I'm but again, sure like, maybe would... we're just different people, you know? But, like, also, that, that just makes you look sketch as fuck. But like, maybe as, like, a young person, you just don't realize that. Especially no, when you've been cleared of, like, all suspicion. I think everybody would realize that. Yeah, I think this whole case was just messy uh, from it, the start. And it's just it so messy. tragic that this it's, young man, like, even lost his life just in the most beautiful that, place of, yeah. like, you know, a treasure of Oregon State. It's tragic that he lost his life. I mean, essentially, she lost her life, too. That's and she super also tragic lost as well. her life. Like, she was young when she got out of prison. Mm-hmm. And I think after that, there was just no news on this woman. And she has just been living her quiet life since. Yeah, but, but it's always going to come up on a background check. <laughs> it will always come up on a background check. That's true. And then assholes like us keep bringing it up, so. <laughs> I mean, if Casey Anthony can start over, then. Exactly. You know what I mean? I don't believe You're that right. lady at all. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Not even but... a little bit. Well, I mean, that was a very interesting tale. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Good job. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a doozy. It's a doozy of a case, and you know, uh, old bandage yeah. man. So, would you rather deal with that or bandage man? I would much rather deal with that. I would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck somebody showing up in my back seat now that, that I drive a convertible like or a truck yeah. and it smells like trash. <laughs> Trying to eat my dog or something. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, bro. Get the fuck out of here, zombie. <laughs> this is an outrage. Are you but kidding also, me? sorry that you died the way you did and that you also died, like, the second time with the ambulance crash. <laughs>
<laughs> That's pretty tragic in itself. <laughs> That's a recipe for a ghost, you know? Spooky, spooky. It's such a recipe tragic. for a ghost. The tragedy. <laughs> Alright, love. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Alright, my dear. I just want to end by saying, you know, <sighs> happy year 30. And you are just the best Thank you. friend you are. I could ever ask for. And you're just, it's so wonderful to spend time with you. And I wish Aww. we were together. Still but a bit. I do too. It's too rainy. And you know, we're both 80 years old and we don't go out in the rain when it's <laughs> out there, you know? So. When it's out there. No. We stay inside and we're we literally, don't compute. We're literally sitting in our shawls. <laughs> like fucking assholes. Drinking beer and tea. <laughs> tea. But yeah, I just love you. And Thank happy you. I love birthday. you too. Thank you, Meg. You know, it's a <laughs> it's a drawn out process, but this is such a fun project. So I'm glad we're still doing it. Yes, me too. It is a um, it's a labor of love. Yep. <laughs> Won't stop anytime soon. I don't think. No, I hope uh, not. Nah. Okay. Hey. Well. Bye. Bye.